Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. Choir, thank you for reminding us of the truth of Scripture, that we serve a God, we serve a kingdom that will not be shaken. Though the world around us may crumble, the kingdom of God will stand forever. That's reason to rejoice. Thank you, choir. This morning, I want to direct your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 24 or 25 through 35 will be our text this morning. As you're turning there, I want to take a moment just to give you an update on my daughter, Emma. Uh, she is still in the hospital. Uh, been working to get the right antibiotics and just a lot of other things. She's doing better. We would ask for your continued prayers for Emma's healing, not just to get home, although we hope that will be very soon, but we're still praying. Um, we've seen things that no one ever expected to happen as Emma's moving her legs more and more, so we are thankful. So please continue to pray for Emma and full restoration. I hope that the title of the message has caused your curiosity to be piqued. The single life. Because this morning I want to address singleness and being a, a single who is devoted to following Christ. Now, what that means is don't check out because there's a tendency to think, well, I'm, I'm married, so this message is not for me. And I would say that's not the case at all. It's in the Scripture. It's in the Bible. This text is, so we need to deal with it, plus our single brothers and sisters have sat through multiple messages on marriage. So the least we can do is say, hey, turnabout is fair play. So I want us to, to think this morning about what it means to be a sanctified single. What it means to be a, a church that comes alongside all believers in helping them, helping one another to be all that God intends. It's difficult to be single. I think about some of the things that are said by people and said that are, are well-meaning, but yet when we stop to think about it, sometimes it may not be the best thing to say. For example, I wonder how many single people have heard this. What's a nice girl or guy like you doing unmarried? How in the world do you answer that? I don't know, you know. Or uh, maybe this, what you really need is a good wife. Or maybe taking a more scriptural approach, some have even said this. The Bible says that being single is a gift. So God must think you are really special and you can handle it. Or aren't you really lucky to have all this time to learn from your married friends on how to prepare for marriage? Or when you're ready, God will send you that perfect person when you're ready. How do you respond to things like that? Like I said, things that are, are meant well, but are often difficult to hear. Well, this morning, I, as I said, I want to address the issue of the single life. One, it's not addressed very much. In fact, I have to confess, looking back at my own preaching ministry, I can think of probably 50, 60 times I've preached about marriage. But maybe only three or four times about being single. So I recognize that in my own ministry, there's been an unbalanced approach to this, which is not fair. One, because if you preach the, the Word of God, you're going to encounter this, this issue, this topic. But also in the sense of being a healthy church, and being a church that's effective 
in reaching the world around us. For example, according to a, a research data or poll conducted by the Pew Research Firm, in 2017, there are 110.6 million unmarried Americans 18 and above. Church, that's 45% of our population. And that number's growing. It's not going to shrink. So if we are to be effective in our ministry and effective in sharing the gospel, this is an issue that we have to think about. And also because of the simple fact the scripture addresses it. And this passage here in 1 Corinthians 7 is one of the primary texts where singleness is dealt with. Now, Paul is dealing with a specific question. In fact, if you were to read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see where time and time again he comes and he makes a statement very similar to the first two words we see in verse 25. Now, concerning. What that signifies is that Paul is addressing a specific question given to him by the congregation. And in this instance, the question is about being married, being engaged, and being single. And the question comes from this framework, I believe, of where this church was located in Corinth. Because it's believed that there were a lot of different philosophical ideas circulating that this church was wrestling with. How do you apply this? For example, some held to what was called the Stoic philosophy. It was a very conservative philosophy that held that marriage was crucial to a healthy society. Therefore, they held it's the obligation of the member of any culture to marry because it was necessary for societal health. That was one philosophical view that, that the Corinthian church was born into. On the far end of the spectrum is another philosophical view called the cynics. They took the opposite approach. They said marriage was a, a man-made construct. It wasn't essential. Whether you married or not, it didn't matter. So I think the question for the Corinthian church was this. What do you do as a believer? What does following Jesus look like? Do you, do you have to marry? Do you need to remain single? What do you do? And so Paul seeks to answer this. He seeks to do what we call applied pastoral theology. He wants to take a scriptural truth as one who as Paul who taught, preached, wrote about marriage and what it means, but to apply it to a specific context. So let's read these ten verses, starting at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, that's the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, what he's saying is that while this is not a topic that Jesus or even the Torah specifically addresses, as a pastor, he's going to try to answer their question. And he says, while I have no specific command on the Lord whether to marry or not to marry, as one who is trustworthy and speaking with apostolic authority, let's address this. Now, let's pick up in verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, 
She has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you. But to promote good order. And to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's answer to this question about singleness is very surprising. It's surprising because his answer is this. Is it better to be single or to marry? He says neither one's wrong. You don't sin if you marry. You don't sin if you remain single. Both are, are acceptable. However, Paul says that to be single is preferable. Now that's what catches us off guard. We don't expect that. Paul who writes about the glories of marriage and in Ephesians 5, for example, we would expect to say, hear him say, be engaged, seek to be married, but he doesn't. Rather, he says, being married is good, being single is good, but I would prefer you to be single. So the question I want us to deal with is why? As we look at this text, why does Paul answer in that way? And then I want us to draw three applications from that. So let's look at the reasons why. There are three reasons Paul says the single life is preferable. The first is this, verses 25 through 28, because life is hard. And guess what? It's not going to get easier. Now, as I said, Paul is applying this as a pastor. Verse 25. He says, there's no command, but I give you my judgment as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. Now, verse 26 really starts to deal with this issue. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So in other words, he says, if you're married, don't seek to end the marriage. If you're engaged, stay engaged. If you're single, stay single right now. And the reason why is this present distress. Now this begs the question, what's this present distress? We don't really know for sure. Some have speculated it's a reference to the trials and tribulations that will accompany anyone who follows Christ. He says, if you're following Jesus, you're going to encounter distress in this present age. There will be trials, there will be temptations, there will be persecutions that will bring stress into your life. We wouldn't argue with that. Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they persecute you. Some feel like Paul is dealing very pragmatically with something that the Corinthian church as well as the entire area was dealing with. 
Historically, we know there was a famine that was wreaking havoc across the area, food shortages that were leading to societal unrest. And so Paul is saying very practically, you know what, food is short, it's increasing stress and demands, and as a single person, you don't carry the demands of trying to provide for a family. So he says remaining single may be the best option right now. And then he reiterates in verses 27 and 28, if you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be free. Don't use this as an excuse to seek divorce or separation. Then he says if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So he's recognizing that in view of this present world, that for all the the wonderful things of marriage, There is a stress level that increases with it because of the demands to provide. You have to think of that. Because marriage brings about complexity. And complexity always brings with it stress. That's Paul's reasoning here. Now, we know this to be true. And as I told the 830 service, I'm about to use an illustration that may get me in trouble. But please know I love you and I believe you love me. You don't have to think hard to recognize Paul's point. Think about when you're single and you decide to take a trip, to get away for a weekend or a night. How difficult is it to get away? Man, throw some clothes in the bag. Heck, I don't even take a shower. I'm gone. Quick, within an hour. But what happens when you get married? And this is where I may get into trouble. Let's get away for the weekend. Let's throw some clothes in the bag. And two hours later, clothes are still being thrown in the bag. By him. It becomes a little more difficult. Now add another layer of complexity. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Scripture's clear on that. But they make traveling a little bit more challenging. I remember when children came along, what happened? It's you don't just hop up and go. You get the pack and play. You be sure you've got enough diapers. You be sure you've got extra clothes. You be sure you've got their toys. You be sure you've got extra toys in case those toys are lost. You be sure you've got extra clothes in case the extra clothes get soiled. And before you know it, you have to rent a U-Haul. With each additional relationship, and once again, all blessings, the layer of complexity increases. That's the point Paul's making. He's saying in view of the present distress, think practically, is this the right time? That's why he says, I would prefer you to stay where you are. There's a second reason that Paul gives for the single life. He says it's preferable because time is short. Verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean. He goes on to explain a little bit more. The appointed time has grown short. Now once again there's some ambiguity in this. The appointed time means a time that is fixed and many feel like he's referring to the return of Jesus. He's saying our time here is short. In fact, he comes back to reiterate this at the very end of verse 31 where he says, for the present form of this world is passing away. So he's saying recognizing the brevity of this world. Now, as Paul writes that, he's also one that is making plans. Later in this book, he'll talk about how he's going to come back to Corinth. He's going to go to Spain. He's going to be traveling for years. But he recognizes that this world is passing away. So basically he is saying that because the world is passing away, evaluate your priorities based upon that. He says, because the time is short, 
because Jesus may be returning. Let those who had wives live as though they had none. Now, once again, keep the context in mind. Paul is not saying just divorce and act like you're not married. But he's saying that there needs to be a refocusing upon the mission of every Christian because the time is short. In fact, he's going to go on to talk about, we'll see later on, about the anxieties that accompany marriage and that you've got to provide for your family. So here he's saying that because the time is short, there needs to be a refocusing upon the mission of living for Christ. That's why he continues, verse 30, those who mourn as though they were not mourning. It's not wrong to grieve. Nathan read this morning where Jesus said, Blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. Paul talks about weeping with those who weep. But what he's saying is, rather than letting your life be defined by mourning, let it be defined by your purpose as a believer in spreading the gospel. He goes on next to joy. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Once again, rhetorically, he's making the point of refocusing on why you are here. In fact, the next two examples Paul uses, those who buy as they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with it, he's saying, remember, this world is passing away, so re evaluate what is most important and act accordingly so he's saying he's calling for this undivided attention on Christ for whoever you are an example of this occurred in the life of Jesus Luke chapter 10 or I'm sorry chapter 17 Jesus visits the house of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus I always love reading that because the personalities are so vivid in the text It's clear that Martha is large and in charge. Top A personality. She's going at it. She's getting everything lined up. She's double checking the casserole. She's got her her, her rolls in the oven. She's being sure the tea is sweetened because this had to be southern Galilee. Everything's got to be in place. And she is busy in a flurry of activity because Jesus has come. You talk about pressure as a hostess. Jesus is literally at your house. And he always brings those guys with him too. Now, Martha's busy. And as she is going from room to room, she notices her sister, Mary. And what's Mary doing? Martha will tell you, absolutely nothing. She's at the feet of Jesus. So Martha gets Jesus to the side. Jesus, can you tell my sister? And you can almost feel the anger and the frustration. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> you tell Mary to help me. That's basically what she says. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. So many things going on. But Mary has chosen the one thing that won't be taken away from her. That's being at my feet right now. Now understand, Jesus did not say what Martha was doing was wrong. Understand that. Preparations have to be made. You know, meals have to be prepared. Houses have to be cleaned. Those are not wrong. It was an issue of timing. That was the point. Jesus was saying, because I'm here now, all that other stuff needs to stop. 
Mary's chosen what is best. And that's because I'm here right now. She's at my feet. To have the wisdom to choose wisely. And that's what Paul is saying. The time is short. So he's saying, don't view marriage as your goal in life. Choose serving me as your goal. That's why the single life's preferable. There's a third reason he gives. He says it's because the single life allows undivided focus on the Lord. This is verses 32 through 36. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. In other words, he's saying he can focus in a way that a married person can't. Because the reality is, when you are married, you have to be concerned about providing for your husband or your wife or providing for your family. Those are concerns that are legitimate and real. That's why he says in verse 33, the married man's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. He has to think through the mission in the terms of, I've still got to provide for my family. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, how to be committed wholly to the Lord. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Divided focus. Once again, Paul's dealing very practically with the reality of things. Family commitments are important. They call for attention. So Paul is saying when you're single, there is an undivided focus you can have on being obedient to the call of God that a person that's married has to think through so many layers of complexity. John Stott echoed this. Many of you may not be familiar with the late John Stott, theologian and preacher in the latter part of the 20th century. He died a few years ago in his 90s, never married. But God used him in an incredible way in his life. Reflecting on his life, he said, you know, I never set out not to marry. He said, that was never a goal of mine. It just happened. But he said, as I look back, I recognize that I would not have been able to write, preach, or teach to the extent that I did had I been married. I think his testimony be echoed by voices throughout church history. People who were single, but yet had a great impact for the kingdom, like George Frederick Handel. Missionary Mary Slessor, theologian F.F. F. Bruce, Gladys Allward, Thomas Beckett, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now Bonhoeffer may have an asterisk because he was engaged but was martyred before he ever married. Missionary Amy Carmichael, the Apostle Paul. Scholars debate, was Paul ever married? Some say he wasn't. Some say Paul was married, but when he converted to Christianity, it was too much for his wife. They say that because to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, you would have been married. But Paul was single. And dare I even say, Jesus, who was single. So Paul says the single life's preferable for those reasons. Marriage is good. It's not wrong but neither is being single. So what do we do with this? I'd like to give you just three applications. One is a congregation. We need to reevaluate our thinking and change where necessary. I would remind you that marriage is not the goal of the Christian. Being like Jesus is. That's why Paul writes in verse 35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, 
He's not trying to lay restraint upon us, but to promote good order. And look at the last phrase. To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the goal of us all. We need to reevaluate our thinking. Often it comes across to those who are single that they're not quite fully adult yet. Or they don't have a place within the church family. And we need to reevaluate that and recognize that a single person is fulfilling their call and following Christ. And to recognize they're not lesser in any way. They shouldn't be treated as such. Second thing I would say is this. Singleness is not a holding pattern. You don't wait. I think sometimes there's this path that we lay out in life. Okay, you go to school, then you get married, and then you settle into church life and do your thing. No. Singleness is not a holding pattern waiting. It's a call that's for all of us. Invest your life for the kingdom now. Now. There's a litany of those in church history that I just went through. The call is to invest your life now for the kingdom. The goal is serving Christ. Third application I would encourage you in is this. We need to work within our congregation to build relationships. By nature, we gravitate toward those that are like us. No one's trying to be ugly or to segregate others. That's our, our natural bent. I, I see it. If you ever take a step back and look at gatherings where we are having a meal together, you'll see this. Senior adults kind of come together. Middle-aged adults, younger adults, youth, they all gather together. And then single adults here. It's kind of like we're all together but separately. Now, once again, nobody's trying to be ugly. Nobody's doing that intentionally. But I think we need to work to break down some of those unintentional boundaries that we build up. One of the ways we can do this is, as married couples, reaching out to those that are single and building a relationship. Now, hear this. We don't build a relationship because we've got a first cousin they need to meet. <clears throat> we build a relationship to encourage one another in following Christ. This is a good time to begin doing that. Valentine's Day becomes a celebration of, of love and relationships. But an unintended consequence is that it makes those who don't have a relationship feel isolated and alone. So it could be maybe the day after Valentine's Day or before, reaching out and saying, hey, why don't you come over and eat or let's go out to eat and just get to know one another. But here's the point that I would end with. Paul reiterates time and time again, no matter your status in life, adult, youth, married, single, what matters is being devoted to the Lord. That's what's important. Having a devotion that says, I'm focused on Him. The city of Pompeii 
was buried in volcanic ash when Vesuvius erupted. The eruption was so sudden and quick with very little warning that citizens were literally frozen in place as they tried to run away from the lava flows that were coming toward them. As archaeologists have excavated the city, they found many, I mean people literally caught in running position, frozen in time. But they came across one person who stood out. He was a sentry, a Roman soldier. And even though everything around him was literally falling apart, he is still at attention at his post. When the ash was falling and the lava coming, he never fled because he had a calling. Our calling, no matter, no matter what, is to follow the Lord. Let's encourage one another to do that. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. I recognize that this sermon is much more of a teaching sermon than a typical proclamation. But I still believe that any time the Word of God is opened and proclaimed, the Spirit of God is at work. And so this morning, the Spirit may be speaking to you in some way. Maybe calling you just to, to come and to pray. Maybe calling you to say, Lord, I've let my life get off focus. I'm not living with total devotion. I'm going to ask Nathan to join me up front. He and I both will be here to pray with you. Once again, the point, single or married, our focus is to be on serving God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithful love. Thank you that you provide all that we need. So help us, Father, to be found faithful. To be fully devoted to you, no matter our, our status in life. To recognize that as you have saved us, you have called us to commitment and to share the gospel. Help us to do that, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together and as we sing, if you